Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking about the proposed 32 million budget cuts to our city's infrastructure, the Neighborhood Association's issue with the new charter reform, the Broadway bike lane scandal, and what the Lloyd Center is actually doing with its massive square footage. Joining me on this week's Friday News Roundup are KBOO's news director, Althea Billings, and our very own lead producer, John Atariani. It's Friday, September 29th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Althea and John, thank you so much for joining me on this week's News Roundup. Hey. Oh, I like that sound effect. Hi. <laughs> Thanks. I feel like we strayed away from the whip noise uh, at the top of the show, and it was a mistake. So bring it back. Mm, good. For those new to the show, this is a day where we invite local journalists to help us break down three of the biggest local headlines of the week. But before we dive in, I just had two quick notes from listeners that wanted to chime in on some of the topics we covered in previous Friday roundups. So Ben wrote in about a story uh, I chose a couple weeks ago where the Oregonian went in deep on the unregulated short-term rental market and uh, how little the city is doing to crack down on landlords not getting properly permitted, like so Airbnbs and stuff like that. Um, So Ben says, hello, I enjoyed this episode very much and want to provide some context on the short-term rental situation in Portland as a permitted operator of one. The city requires that there is a long-term tenant or owner living on site for all short-term rentals and that only a portion of the property can be rented on a short-term basis. This is specifically to avoid out-of-town landlords or second-home scenarios that eat up long-term housing for locals. Now, it seems like the issue here is proper enforcement if there are so many unregistered listings. And then he said, I hope you have a great day, which I greatly appreciated. Thank you, Ben. I will have a great day. I brought Ben's note up because it was sweet and positive, but we did get quite a few notes from other permitted short-term rental landlords and property management companies kind of annoyed that we were not only bringing up this issue, but we were also kind of talking shit about Airbnbs. But I do want to acknowledge how annoying... (laughs) It has to be for all of the short-term rental permitted operators who had to jump through all the hoops to see like all these scoundrels making a mockery of out of all the regulations and smirching your name and all that. But this should just serve as a warning that if the city doesn't get a handle on it, we're definitely going to head for an overcorrection. Like it's going to be just be New York City, which is what I think John really wants. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, look, like people who are who are following the rules and doing it in an equitable way, I I salute you and I support you. Um, I just know that there's a lot of people who aren't. Yeah. Athea, what are your thoughts on Airbnbs? I, when I'm going out of town uh, and looking for a place to stay, love it. When it's here, don't like it. <laughs> so, so funny. That's, that's a very un-nuanced take on it. Yeah. Well, okay. The l- last quick note I wanted to bring up is from a listener who wrote in about the deterra bags that were being handed out to students. If you remember, you can use these bags to safely dispose of illegal drugs or expired medicine. And I think during our discussion of the story, our guest, uh, city cast director of newsletters, Brian Vance, stated that the bag had carbon activated crystals in it that broke down whatever you threw inside. But we also, uh, he and I also wondered what would happen if we filled them with Mentos and Coke instead, like as a prank. So Jim, a former chemist, wrote in to say, one, the material in the deterra bags, I can't say that word anymore, is activated charcoal. And two, I think it's very funny as a chemist that the line from the company and every news article uh, is that mixing drugs with charcoal and water is destructive of the drug. 
And then he's like, I know you have a science background, so you know, like, there's not, that's not happening. Um, and he's right, it's not a chemical reaction, it's physical adsorption. Um, and honestly, I don't want to go deep into that. It just it doesn't matter. But just know that things aren't exploding in there. And then three, he said you would create a horrible mess with Mentos and Coke <laughs> and activated charcoal is fucking awful to clean off services. Basically saying, like, don't do it. And to that last note, I want to say, Jim, thank you for the warning. But I'm pretty sure you just stoked uh, Brian's curiosity even more. And... Um, I'm sure there's going to be a fucking awful mess for him to clean up very soon. Um, <laughs> and that brings us to our opening question. What is the worst slash best prank you guys have ever been a part of? I want Portland pranks only. Um, I have a recurring prank that I used to do that I thought was really funny and that nobody else thought was funny. Um, <laughs> I, those are the best. <laughs> So I used to, when I first moved to Portland, I worked at this cocktail bar called The Secret Society, which if you've never been, it was like a low light, small room, like classy cocktail bar. Um, and we would run the music through an iPad sometimes. But if I had to leave the room for a while, I would get on my phone once I walked out and put on Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's killing Althea. I would have loved that. <laughs> I think the first time it was, everyone thought it was funny. By like the third time, people didn't think it was funny anymore, but I did. <laughs> and that's all that matters, John. Exactly. What about you, Althea? Well, can I say something about John's? I oh, have yeah. a Spotify playlist that I built with a friend of songs that if you played them on repeat on like a bar jukebox would get you kicked out. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know how I overlooked who let the dogs out because that's an incredible one. <laughs> well, what about you, Alfia? What What's a, a prank that you've taken a part of? I really like, um, in, in terms of being inspired in Portland, poster-based pranks. Mm. Like this city has so many telephone poles that you can just staple anything to. <laughs> and there's one in particular that I saw and took a photo of in the summer of 2022, and it has lived in my mind ever since. And I aspire to reach this level, right? Can I read it mm -hmm. to you? Yeah, of course. It says, stop cutting your kid's hair. Haircuts are not natural to humans. They go against our very nature, exclamation point. Hair grows for a reason. Every snip to make your kid more so societally presentable stunts a little bit more creative growth. Instead, try... Hat. <laughs> and it's one of those ones that just like has you go and you're like, oh, there totally is some crunchy parent that's really upset about kids having haircuts. And you're like, Portland, what is this city coming to? And then you get to instead try hat. <laughs> so whoever wrote that one, I salute you. I've been trying to reach that peak ever since of how could you really get people going and get agitated only to realize we're, we're goofing on you. <laughs> so good. Well, cool. Thanks, guys. I really, I love this. I wish I could have been in the bar when you played that because I would have been so <laughs> stoked, John. I'll find a way to do it someday. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bar with an internet jukebox somewhere out there and I can give you that experience. <laughs> nice. Well, Althea, do you want to start us off with a headline that caught your eye this week? I would love to. Wouldn't you know it, the Portland Bureau of Transportation is looking at $32 million in cuts for 2024. But this is right coming after five years of financial struggle for Peabody, even before the pandemic, that they've been, you know, delaying things and, and making service cuts. But 
They've been dealing with this loss of revenue from state and local gas taxes. People are using more fuel-efficient cars or they're driving electric or they're taking public transit. Um, So those revenues from gas taxes has gone down. And also the revenue that they get from parking, uh, primarily downtown, is, is also way down. So they're looking at this $32 million hole and what are they going to do about it? It's looking like 89 employees laid off as soon as January of 2024, mostly maintenance uh, from the maintenance department and administrative departments. They're also not going to fill 38 vacancies that they have. And it also means big cuts to regular infrastructure maintenance. So think roads, bridges, traffic lights, bike paths, sidewalks not getting the upkeep that they are even at the current level that they're they're getting. Um, and they're also going to be cutting safety programs, including um, the safe ride to school program, I believe. And there's not a, it's not totally clear what the path forward is going to be. If there is going to be a way to preserve these jobs or preserve these even just basic maintenance that Peabot is looking at um, because there have been, you know, alternate plans because this is right five years coming. Um, but even earlier this year, city council rejected a parking rate hike of like 40 cents that would have helped stem it. Um, Commissioner Maps had come up with uh, like $96 per household tax for transportation that also got canned. So it's a it's a tough time. Peabot is, is looking down at some at some tough stuff. One of the things that I, I read in one of the stories about this that really jumped out at me is that it's basically on the city commissioners to figure out how to fund these programs, um, which is like just such a funny idea and so clearly why we need to get away from this model of government. Because like, sure, there is a commissioner who's in charge of transportation. Mingus Maps is going to make this want to work. But other commissioners that are in charge of other bureaus don't want to transfer the money away from their priorities. So yeah, this is one of the moments that I can't wait for our form of government to die and be reborn next year. Uh, just can't wait for it to happen any quicker. Claudia John, is so exciting. Are you I've a believer? Been... <laughs> <laughs> but later on in the show, I'll have more uh, shit to talk about it as well. So No, because John, this... Oh my God, listeners, you don't understand. This is quite an arc. Like, just well, I wouldn't say he was against the charter reform, but he just was like, "Yeah, sure, it's gonna it's gonna do much." Everyone's just gonna basically run around like with their hairs on fire, and nothing's gonna happen. Um, I to- I I might have exaggerated your point, John, but you know, it was at that point where you were just well, like, "Well, there's plenty of hair on fire running around going well, on, just course, not in this instance." Yeah. <laughs> 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 well. It, back to the Peabot um, budget, other large cities in the Portland metro area, like including like Hillsborough, like Oswego, even Milwaukee, they already have some sort of like transportation utility fee. Like I personally wouldn't mind an added transportation tax if they were actually building a sustainable future. But <laughs> I just don't. As is, I'm afraid to give Peabot any more money because I'm just like, are you just going to build more roads? Or throw it away, undoing stuff that they already did. I know exactly where you want to go with this, Althea. I know exactly. (laughs) I I could see it bubbling. But I just want to know, like, how did Peabot and so many lawmakers didn't, like, how did they not see the writing on the wall a decade ago? You know, this shouldn't have been a surprise to anyone. I know the pandemic, like, expedited the lack of funds, but... If we are running out of revenue sources that are car-based like gas, taxes, and parking, perhaps we should have then moved our focus away from car-based solutions for transportation and start dipping into the pockets of, like, larger corporations for more, like, I don't know, sustainable modes of transport. And I feel like 
That's exactly what climate activists and think tanks have been saying for like, I don't know, like 50 years. Like, mm -hmm. hey guys, how all of this, our entire society is set up is not sustainable. Not just like, hey, cause earth die, but also money gone. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? One of the ideas that was floated was tapping into the Portland Clean Energy Fund, which, if we remember, is this thing that voters approved pretty mm -hmm. recently that, like, created this huge new revenue stream uh, to try and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So it's not like we don't know how to come up with new revenue sources. This new revenue source just got started in 2018. Um, there just has to be the political will to do it. And it feels like right now, up until this point, like you're saying, Claudia, everybody's just sort of had their head in the sand about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's been it's been coming for a while and that we're now looking at this situation where, hey, so we're just not going to be able to maintain traffic lights. You guys are cool with that, right? It's <laughs> how did we get here? It's obviously untenable. But the thing I was referencing was last week there was this scandal uncovered by Bike Portland where the same director who is, you know, in front of city council saying $32 million in cuts, what do you want me to do? Also was going to force through a plan over PBOT staff's, you know, desires or even like what they're supposed to be doing using work orders to undo a parking protected bike lane on Broadway between Northwest Hoyt and Southwest Salmon that was installed only last year. And it connects these other two parts of the bike lane, basically at the behest of two hotels on that strip that don't like it, that it's in their way yeah. or loading and unloading is more difficult for them uh, and that there's been crashes. But we're talking maybe bicycles and people crashes. Here's the deal, Althea. It wasn't just like that it was established or finished last year. The whole project had been slowly building for 14 years. So that's 14 mm. years of money going to specific projects for these types of like safer bike lanes. And yeah. so the fact that they're like, hey, let's use our no like very limited resources to take apart something that we spent so much money on. And just last year, we we're just like, this is a great idea. Mm. Yeah. And then there's the added bonus of Commissioner Mingus Maps, who's overseas PBOT, saying that he didn't know anything about it, that this is happening without his consent. And then wouldn't, you know, emails revealing that he greenlit the project and totally knew about it, <laughs> spending tens of thousands of dollars undoing existing infrastructure. Womp, womp. And why? I wonder why. Why? Just a couple of hotels getting on his case about it? Well, could it be that of a certain business uh, association maybe gave him a bunch of money to run? <laughs> Sure. And maybe he's hoping they give him a bunch more money to run for mayor. And maybe this business association has been asking for this stuff for years. Could it be, th yeah. could it be that? I don't know. That sounds I don't a little know. out there. That sounds crazy. I didn't know we were in a world where we were taking out bike lanes. <laughs> taking out bike lanes doesn't stop bikes. It just makes them no. less safe. Yeah. I immediately, do we know of any other projects that would fall into the wayside, like larger projects? Like, have we heard of anything coming through that people, I mean, aside from like general maintenance that is needed, um, is there anything that there's like, now nah, we're not going to do this, you know, or I'm curious if you've heard of anything. Yeah. The Safe Routes to School program uh, is is probably going to get its funding pulled. I also heard that the transportation wallet program that gives uh, prepaid TriMet cards to some users will also is also on the chopping block. Oh no! Plus, all the potholes that they already weren't filling are going to be even less filled now. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, the potholes are a total issue. Um, I want to give some props because we all learned about this Broadway bike scandal, as it's been called, because some Peabot workers just anonymously 
tipped off Jonathan Mouse from Bike Portland. And so they sent like actual emails, which is kind of amazing that city workers were just like, they kind of sense a hint of corruption, a sense of like complete stupidity. And they were just like, no. And we need more of that. We need more of that. Like, because this could have all happened and no one would have known, you know? With all the emails, it's all going to get forced even further underground. <laughs> that's my that's my thought. <laughs> oh, you're saying that because this came out now, it's just like, they're just going to start like... They're going to use WhatsApp. Just going to be Snapchatting each other. My God, Snapchatting city projects. <laughs> just like a selfie of like, hey, we're taking out this bike lane. <laughs> like if you agree. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, more headlines of the week. So, John, what's your headline of the week? Uh, I want to talk about the charter reform process and one of the aspects of that, uh, specifically related to neighborhood associations. Um, You know, just the whole process is just beginning to come together. We're starting to get some information about what our new form of city government is going to look like. But there's all these different neighborhood groups across the city that have a ton of political power traditionally. um, And they're concerned that when they change the form of city government, that they're not going to have as much influence, um, which I think is valid. I think that there are some things in this charter reform that is going to give these neighborhood organizations that have, you know, kind of been political kingmakers in a certain sense. Um, They're not going to have the same force that they used to in local government. But And they don't like that. Uh, Four neighborhood coalitions representing about 57 neighborhood associations, uh, they raised the alarm. They said that they want to sort of delay approving the organizational chart for another 30 days so that they can clarify how it would affect them. Um, So four district coalitions. It's interesting. There are seven district coalitions across the city, and it was interesting who wasn't a part of that letter. (laughs) I know. Very curious. So let's see who's on board. Northeast, Northwest, Southeast. What's missing? East Portland Community Office. The entire East Portland. Like all of like the the, the outer East, we should say. Outer East Portland. North Portland Neighborhood Services. St. John's, what's up? (laughs) And then Southwest Community Services doesn't quite fit my point as well. But like. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe they just have so much money. They're like, we're going to be fine, babies. You know, <laughs> let like, them fight. Like, yeah, the, the parts of the city that have traditionally had a ton of influence are like, we don't like this. And the ones that are the neighborhoods that haven't had great representation are just sort of like, now nah, we good. I know we're good. <laughs> we're excited. Yay. You know, because of this article, I fell into this rabbit hole because I had no idea. I had no idea like how much power that these neighborhood organizations had. And and I just want to like underline, John, that what you stated, like, hey, they're pissed off about the organizational chart. They're they're mad that they're no longer going to be under the Office of Community and Civic Life, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is where they were getting so a bunch of money that would go to neighborhoods instead of like reps being like, hey, we need this, we need, we need that. It would be these neighborhood organizations. So they have been doing some good stuff. Like, I love my St. John's organization. We have trash cans because of them. (laughs) Some might say too many, but I love them, you know? And they also deal with, like, um, safety and, and, like, they organize cleanups, you know, of, like, rivers. They're, like, cool. They do cool things. But here's what I – so I was – 
like saying these things out loud to my partner who for like over a decade worked um, in nonprofit here in Portland, like Basic Rights Oregon. And then she was at the Coalition of Communities of Color. And she just basically was like, dude, neighborhood associations have been the bane of these community-based organizations that advocate for underserved populations because they take all the money Mm -hmm. and they don't share with other you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why, and, that's, and I wanted to say that, John, because that's exactly why I think East Portland and North Portland's like, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, yeah. You know? But the point that I wanted to make is like, yes, these are like neighborhood associations, but they aren't really like functionally neighborhood associations. They are homeowners associations and they favor the policies of that affect home ownership, you know, mm-hmm. which means that they are kind of like Anything that would help renters, anything that would help more density, anything that would help people who don't already have a financial investment in a property, like those sorts of concerns have sort of been going the the wayside. And I think that like if we want to talk about reasons that we're in a housing crisis, like I, I think that a city government that is catered only to people who already own homes, like that's a big part of it. I mean, part of the whole point of, at least from my perspective, part of the many points of charter reform was taking away the power of neighborhood associations, which was actually neighborhood associations was like the issue that got me into all of like city government reform. There was a article that Alex Zielinski wrote for the Mercury back in 2019 that like blew my mind. I was like, that's why it's like this. Oh my God. <laughs> we have, are you guys seeing this? We got to do something. Uh, but yeah, I mean, It makes sense that they would be upset about not being the sole representatives of their area. And like you're saying, it's, it's homeowners. And I think it also favors, you know, maybe people who have time to sit around at neighborhood association meetings where Mm -hmm. they're not getting paid. So we're talking older folks, whiter folks, richer folks who, you know, can spend their time pressing on city council to do their bidding in that way. And that they're, their power is eroding, um, it's, it, you know, that's part of it. I'm not shocked by this, I guess. And here's the deal. I actually, again, neighborhood associations, I think are actually really beneficial to a community. Should they be the only and primary way that Portlanders should make their voices heard at City Hall? No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In no way am I anti-neighborhood association. Yeah, yeah. It's just not all the work that is localized should it shouldn't all go through neighborhood associations mm-hmm. and because all of our you know elected leaders have been citywide that's been the system that exactly. has to exist to even hope to have a localized issue get addressed at city council yeah but i'm i'm excited to see the power shift just know that like at a hyper local level if it weren't for these like little complaining angels seriously nothing would have ever gotten mm-hmm. done but mm-hmm. i agree with john it is um, usually, I'm not saying all of, but like it's more focused on keeping uh, like home values up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I tell you guys uh, the headline that I prepared for y'all? Please. Yeah. Cool. So uh, it's uh, all about what the Lloyd Center is actually going to turn into. There's been so much speculation. And Anthony Effinger uh, from the Willamette Week broke it down for us. I don't know if you've been following the saga of all of the Lloyd Center speculation. We even had uh, at one point they're like, oh, it's going to turn into an MLB uh, stadium. And people thought like, oh, no, it's for reals. That's happening. So he wrote, 
that no, it's not happening. That's not what's happening at all. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no baseball, no Damian Lillard, no sports in Portland. No. <laughs> oh, John. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. Sad. We all knew it was happening. I know. It's just like, you know that feeling when you know someone's about to break up with you, but like it still hurts? That's sort of how I feel. Yeah. yeah. You know what's so fun? I'm like, <laughs> my mind is very like, I think just because I grew up with an immigrant mom, very practical. And so when I heard that, I was like, what are we going to do with all those murals? <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing that came to my head. We have so many day murals. What are we going to do? Yeah. Clearance sale at all the Jersey God, <laughs> that's so much paint, you guys. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, the the owners of the Lloyd Center Mall uh, made public this plan, and it's going to revamp. This is what they're saying: it's going to revitalize the 29 acre site with uh, 5,000 units of housing, restaurants, and green spaces, and an office space. They're they're like hoping, fingers crossed, if if that ever comes back. But the ice rink is going to stay in the picture. And the mall is going to stay open under construction. But again, no MLB stadium, though they were just like, hey, man, if that becomes a real thing, super down to talk about it. But the reason why I'm excited, you guys, um, these are the reasons I'm excited. The initial diagram laid out uh, that the overreaching plan is to open the mall back up. So I don't know if you guys knew this, but like before the 80s, Lloyd Center was an open air mall. Mm -hmm. oh. So imagine you were driving through that area as and as opposed to seeing like this collection of parking lots and and like, you know, concrete cubes. It actually looked more like a neighborhood center where you could walk through. That's what it mm. felt like. So now mm -hmm. they're, they, they're wanting to go back to that. So that to me sounds pretty cool. I'm really excited about that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? I have serious thoughts about this and I have dumb thoughts about this. Ooh, I'm going to leave all with the a dumb, dumb thoughts thought. first. <laughs> um, when I read about the ice skating rink staying, I was like, I feel so pandered to right now. And I feel so happy yeah. about this. <laughs> 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 like that makes no sense as being a part of the headline, but like I still love it. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny! They're like, and we're selling Detroit style pizza in oh. the corner. You're like, hey, we're back. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like, like a mixed use bunch of housing, open air mall is like actually way more exciting to me than a stadium would be. I Same. think that's like a way better like revitalization of that space, especially right where it is in the city. You know, it, there's a lot of ways the development projects can go sideways, but like, yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, it seems like it's going to be good, you know, um, especially reestablishing some of the, the grid uh, of the streets that, that mm -hmm. is lost in that area. I've definitely um, been overconfident by not following directions and kind of taking a wrong turn and been like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm doing, oh, yeah. I'm doing Lloyd Center by accident. Oh God. Yeah. You just end up at Lloyd Center and then you're like, why am I on the five? Why am I on the five? <laughs> I did this all wrong and the lights are so slow. I, it's good for people to walk, but I, I gotta get out of here, man. Yeah. Um, I'm getting a pretzel after all. Yeah. I know. But John, I do want to tell you something. That is okay. coming to the uh, Lloyd Center. And I was really excited when I read this. I was so excited. To tell you I don't this. know if I should be excited or terrified, but yes, tell me. A 45,098 square foot educational art installation by local artist Mike Bennett. It's called Painted Pines Park, and it's exhibit inspired by U.S. national parks. It's going to be in the old movie theaters on the top floor of, of the Lloyd Mall starting early next year. And it's going to have four areas to explore. Uh, tall, tall timbers. Geyser Gulch. Mike Critic Bennett. Canyon. Oh, I think Mike this is Bennett. yours. Acrylic is Alps. 
Is Mike Bennett running for, for city council? God, is, is, are you going to vote for him? Is, is, is Mike Bennett going to be the mayor of Portland? I just feel like M- Mike is unstoppable. <laughs> All I'm saying is team field trip. <laughs> I'm game. Yeah, okay. yeah I'll go. Um, speaking of development features, though, um, the article that I read on it said that the green spaces are going to be designed by Field Operations. And that's the firm that designed the High Line in New York. Oh, which is, whoa. Yeah. So the High Line, if anybody doesn't know, is it was this old abandoned railway trestle in Manhattan that they redeveloped into like a pedestrian path. And it is like the most successful activation of uh, uh, an abandoned space in an urban area, I think in the last like generation. It's so fucking cool. And it, oh, like, that's so cool. everybody loves it. And the idea that this is the firm that is going to be Focusing on the green spaces, that also really excited me too. You just made me so happy. I mean, let's just talk about more cities. Like when I think about Atlanta, I think mm-hmm. of the Beltway. And I, now I'm just like, oh man, if we could have something like the Beltway in that area, that would be sick. You know, that'd be so cool. Um, also, I don't know if you know, I just found this out too, is that the architecture firm that's leading the master plan, not the green spaces, I think, you know, probably working with them, is ZGF. And they're the same people who are working on the terminal expansion at the Portland International Airport. Oh. Yeah. So they're going to be like cutesy signs all over the Lloyd Center District being like, teehee, it's messy. (laughs) (laughs) Teehee, oops, you have to walk for 40 more minutes. (laughs) Hope you don't miss your plane. (laughs) Don't go through the wrong security on a giant post-it note. I know. Now you're outside. (laughs) It's a little loud in here. Sorry. Oh, man. Well, awesome. Guys, thanks so much for hanging out with me this morning and, uh, yeah, telling me about all the news that happened this week. Yeah, thanks, Claudia. Thanks for having me. A few hours after our taping, Bike Portland broke the news that Peabot is no longer considering a rollback of the downtown Broadway bike lane. Thanks again to Jonathan Moss for his solid reporting on this issue. You can read the full story at bikeportland.org. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or leave us a great review, an amazing review. It will really help us out. Our lead producer is John Atariani. Our audio producers this week were Lizzie Goldsmith and Julia Fiaioni. Our newsletter editor is Rachel Monahan, and our host is me, Claudia Meza. Original music by Jenny Conley and Steven Drizos. Additional music by Epidemic Sound and All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. Mm-hmm.